Chapters seven to nine of Book three of Toilers of the Sea, Part one. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Adams. Toilers of the Sea, Part one, Sieur Clubin by Victor Hugo. Translated by W. Moy Thomas. Book three, Durande and Deruchette. Chapter seven, the same godfather and the same patron saint. Having created his steamboat, Lethierry had christened it. He had called it Durande, La Durande. We will speak of her henceforth by no other name. We will claim the liberty also, in spite of typographical usage, of not italicizing this name Durande, conforming in this to the notion of Mess Lethierry, in whose eyes La Durande was almost a living person. Durande and Desruchettes are the same name. Desruchettes is the diminutive. This diminutive is very common in France. In the country the names of saints are endowed with all these diminutives, as well as all their augmentatives. One might suppose there were several persons when there is in fact only one. This system of patrons and patronesses, under different names, is by no means rare. Lise, Lisette, Lisa, Eliza, Isabel, Lisbeth, Betsy, all these are simply Elizabeth. It is probable that Mahout, Maclou, Marlow, and Magloire are the same saint. This, however, we do not vouch for. Saint Durand is a saint of Longumois and of the Charente. Whether she is an orthodox member of the calendar is a question for the Bollandists. Orthodox or not, she has been made the patron saint of numerous chapels. It was while Lethierry was a young sailor at Rochefort that he had made the acquaintance of this saint, probably in the person of some pretty Charentaise, perhaps in that of the grisette with the white nails. The saint had remained sufficiently in his memory for him to give the name to the two things which he loved most, Durand to the steamboat, Desruchettes to the girl. Of one he was the father, of the other the uncle. Deruchette was the daughter of a brother who had died. She was an orphan child. He had adopted her, and had taken the place both of father and mother. Deruchette was not only his niece, she was his godchild. He had held her in his arms at the baptismal font. It was he who had chosen her patron saint, Durande, and her Christian name, Deruchette. Deruchette, as we have said, was born at St. Peter's Port. Her name was inscribed at its date on the register of the parish. As long as the niece was a child, and the uncle poor, nobody took heed of her appellation of Deruchette. But when the little girl became a miss, and the sailor a gentleman, the name of Deruchette shocked the feelings of Guernsey's society. The uncouthness of the sound astonished everyone. Folks asked Mess Lethierry, why Deruchette? He answered, It is a very good name in its way. Several attempts were made to get him to obtain a change in the baptismal name, but he would be no party to them. One day, a fine lady of the upper circle of society in Saint-Sampson, the wife of a rich retired iron founder, said to Mess Lethierry, In future I shall call your daughter Nancy. If names of country towns are in fashion, said he, why not Lon-le-Saunier? 
The fine lady did not yield her point, and on the morrow said, "'We are determined not to have it Deruchette. I have found for your daughter a very pretty name, Marianne.' "'A very pretty name indeed,' replied Mess Lethierry, composed of two words which signify a husband and an ass.' He held fast to Deruchette. It would be a mistake to infer from the tearist pun that he had no wish to see his niece married. He desired to see her married, certainly, but in his own way. He intended her to have a husband after his own heart, one who would work hard, and whose wife would have little to do. He liked rough hands in a man and delicate ones in a woman. To prevent Deruchette spoiling her pretty hands, he had always brought her up like a young lady. He had provided her with a music-master, a piano, a little library, and a few needles and threads in a pretty work-basket. She was, indeed, more often reading than stitching, more often playing than reading. This was as Mestre wished it. To be charming was all that he expected of her. He had reared the young girl like a flower. Whoever has studied the character of sailors will understand this. Rude and hard in their nature, they have an odd partiality for grace and delicacy. To realize the idea of the uncle, the niece ought to have been rich, so indeed felt Mestre His steamboat voyaged for this end. The mission of Durand was to provide a marriage portion for Deruchette. Chapter 8. Bonnie Dundee Deruchette occupied the prettiest room at the Brave. It had two windows, was furnished with various articles made of fine-grained mahogany, had a bed with four curtains, green and white, and looked out upon the garden, and beyond it towards the high hill, on which stands the Vale Castle. Gilliatt's house, the Bû de la Rue, was on the other side of this hill. Deruchette had her music and piano in this chamber. She accompanied herself on the instrument when singing the melody which she preferred, the melancholy Scottish air of Bonnie Dundee. The very spirit of night breathes in this melody, but her voice was full of the freshness of dawn. The contrast was quaint and pleasing. People said, Miss Deruchette is at her piano. The passers-by at the foot of the hill stopped sometimes before the wall of the garden of the Brave to listen to that sweet voice and the plaintive song. Deruchette was the very embodiment of joy as she went to and fro in the house. She brought with her a perpetual spring. She was beautiful, but more pretty than beautiful, and still more graceful than pretty. She reminded the good old pilots, friends of Mess Lethierry, of that princess in the song which the soldiers and sailors sing, who was so beautiful. Qu'elle passait pour telle dans le régiment. Mess Lethierry used to say, She has a head of hair like a ship's cable. From her infancy she had been remarkable for beauty. The learned in such matters had grave doubts about her nose, but the little one, having probably determined to be pretty, had finally satisfied their requirements. She grew to girlhood without any serious loss of beauty. Her nose became neither too long nor too short, and when grown up, her critics admitted her to be charming. She never addressed her uncle otherwise than as father. 
Lethierry allowed her to soil her fingers a little in gardening, and even in some kind of household duties. She watered her beds of pink hollyhocks, purple foxgloves, perennial phloxes, and scarlet herb bennets. She took good advantage of the climate of Guernsey, so favourable to flowers. She had, like many other persons there, aloes in the open ground, and, what is more difficult, she succeeded in cultivating the Nepalese sink-foil. Her little kitchen-garden was scientifically arranged. She was able to produce from it several kinds of rare vegetables. She sowed Dutch cauliflower and Brussels cabbages, which she thinned out in July, turnips for August, endive for September, short parsnip for the autumn, and rampions for winter. Mess Lethierry did not interfere with her in this, so long as she did not handle the spade and rake too much, or meddle with the coarser kinds of garden labour. He had provided her with two servants, one named Grace and the other Douce, which are favourite names in Guernsey. Grace and Douce did the hard work of the house and garden, and they had the right to have red hands. With regard to Mess Lethierry, his room was a little retreat with a view over the harbour, and communicating with the great lower room of the ground floor, on which was situated the door of the house, near which the various staircases met. His room was furnished with his hammock, his chronometer, and his pipe. There was also a table and a chair. The ceiling had been whitewashed, as well as the four walls. A fine marine map, bearing the inscription W. Fadden, five charing cloths, geographer to his majesty, and representing the Channel Islands, was nailed up at the side of the door, and on the left, stretched out and fastened with other nails, appeared one of those large cotton handkerchiefs, on which are printed, in colours, the signals of all countries in the world, having at the four corners the standards of France, Russia, Spain, and the United States, and in the centre the Union Jack of England. Douce and Grace were two faithful creatures within certain limits. Douce was good-natured enough, and Grace was probably good-looking. Douce was unmarried, and had secretly a gallant. In the Channel Islands the word is common, as indeed is the fact itself. The two girls, regarded as servants, had something of the creole in their character, a sort of slowness in their movements, not out of keeping with the Norman spirit pervading the relations of servant and master in the Channel Islands. Grace, coquettish and good-looking, was always scanning the future with a nervous anxiety. This arose from the fact of her not only having, like Douce, a gallant, but also, as the scandal-loving averred, a sailor-husband, whose return one day was a thing she dreaded. This, however, does not concern us. In a household less austere and less innocent, Douce would have continued to be the servant, but Grace would have become the soubrette. The dangerous talents of Grace were lost upon a young mistress so pure and good as Déruchette. For the rest, the intrigues of Douce and Grace were cautiously concealed. Mess Lethierry knew nothing of such matters, and no token of them had ever reached Déruchette. The lower room of the ground floor, a hall with a large fireplace, and surrounded with benches and tables, had served in the last century as a meeting-place for a conventicle of French Protestant refugees. 
the sole ornament of the bare stone wall was a sheet of parchment set in a frame of black wood on which were represented some of the charitable deeds of the great bossuet bishop of meaux some poor diocesans of this famous orator surnamed the eagle persecuted by him at the time of the revocation of the edict of nantes and driven to take shelter at guernsey had hung this picture on the wall to preserve the remembrance of those facts the spectator who had the patience to decipher a rude handwriting in faded ink might have learnt the following facts which are but little known Twenty-ninth October, 1685, Monsieur the Bishop of Meaux appeals to the king to destroy the temples of Morsef and Nanteuil. Second April, 1686, arrest of Cochard, father and son, for their religious opinions, at the request of Monsieur the Bishop of Meaux. Released, the Cochards having recanted. 28th October, 1699, Monsieur the Bishop of Meaux sent to Madame Pontchartrain a petition of remonstrance, pointing out that it would be necessary to place the young ladies named Chalande and de Neuville, who are of the Reformed religion, in the house of the New Catholics at Paris. 7th July, 1703, the King's order executed, as requested by Monsieur the Bishop of Meaux, for shutting up in an asylum, Baudouin and his wife, two bad Catholics, of Fublen. At the end of the hall, near the door of Mess Letiria's room, was a little corner with a wooden partition, which had become the Huguenot's sanctum, and had become, thanks to its row of rails and a small hole, to pass paper or money through, the steamboat office. That is to say, the office of the Gironde, kept by Mess Letiria in person. Upon the old oaken reading-desk, where once rested the Holy Bible, lay a great ledger, with its alternate pages headed Debit and Credit. CHAPTER Nine: THE MAN WHO DISCOVERED Rontaine's CHARACTER As long as Mess Letiri had been able to do duty, he had commanded the Durande, and had had no other pilot or captain but himself. But a time had come, as we have said, when he had been compelled to find a successor. He had chosen for that purpose Sieur Clubin of Torteval, a taciturn man. Sieur Clubin had a character upon the coast for strict probity. He had become the alter ego, the double of Mesletiri. Sieur Clubin, although he had rather the look of a notary than of a sailor, was a mariner of rare skill. He had all the talents which are required to meet dangers of every kind. He was a skilful stower, a safe man aloft, an able and careful boatswain, a powerful steersman, an experienced pilot, and a bold captain. He was prudent, and he carried his prudence sometimes to the point of daring, which is a great quality at sea. His natural apprehensiveness of danger was tempered by a strong instinct of what was possible in an emergency. He was one of those mariners who will face risks to a point perfectly well known to themselves, and who generally manage to come successfully out of every peril. Every certainty which a man can command, dealing with so fickle an element as the sea, he possessed. Sieur Clubin, moreover, was a renowned swimmer. 
he was one of that race of men broken into the buffeting of the waves, who can remain as long as they please in the water, who can start from the Havre des Pas at Jersey, double the Colette, swim round the Hermitage and Castle Elizabeth, and return in two hours to the point from which they started. He came from Torteval, where he had the reputation of often having swum across the passage so much dreaded, from the Hanway Rocks to the point of Plemont. One circumstance which had recommended Sieur Clubin to Mess Lethierry more than any other was his having judged correctly the character of Rontaine. He had pointed out to Lethierry the dishonesty of the man, and had said, Rontaine will rob you. His prediction was verified more than once in matters it is true not very important mess lethierry had put his ever scrupulous honesty to the proof and he freely communicated with him on the subject of his affairs mess lethierry used to say a good conscience expects to be treated with perfect confidence end of chapter nine of book three recording by paul adams www dot com